Hey, so uh, we are in the season of Lent. Uh, a number of you are at the Ash Wednesday service a few weeks ago, and kind of the idea there is that we're reminded in this season as we move towards Easter uh, that, as the scriptures say, we are made from dust, and to dust we'll eventually return. And that's kind of the focus of the series that we're doing between now and Easter as well. Uh, dust to dust. We're talking about life in a body, uh, what that means, what it doesn't mean, and kind of the way we're framing this is around some various myths that we tend to believe about our bodies, and then uh, contrasting those with what the scriptures say, uh, what God says about these various various things. So just to recap last week when we started, if you, you didn't catch last week, you might want to go online and go back to it. It's kind of a foundation for all the teachings we're doing in this series. Uh, but the idea there being that your body is good. That having a body, uh, this is not incidental or accidental. It's not an afterthought. God created you with a body on purpose. There is, is a purpose to this. And contrary, this is what we talked about last week, contrary to what we sometimes feel, your body is not dirty or sinful or shameful. Your body is good. God created you with a body that is good. It's a gift of God, and having a body is core to what it means to be human. Uh, so today, myth number two, uh, we are going to uh, we're going to take on one that's it's very, very common, and it's also a source of a tr- tremendous amount of pain for many, and that's this idea that how my body looks is critical to my happiness. Right? The, the whole area of body image. How my body looks is critical to my happiness. This is a myth that we fall into very easily in our society. Uh, Or you can maybe substitute there for how your body looks to perhaps how it performs, right? To how healthy it is or isn't, to how athletic it is or isn't, Uh, to your brain, your intelligence. You know, there's all different metrics we can use in here. But how my body looks or how my body performs, many of us believe this is really critical to whether or not we're going to be able to be happy and satisfied in life. So here's the thing, and this is, it's a thing about us that's a little bit weird, right? So uh, I find, I'm sure you find this too, that we tend to vacillate between, on the one hand, a view of self that makes too little of the body, and on the other, a view that makes too much of the body. The, the view that, that makes too little says my body is nothing, right? The real me is internal. The real me is the one that you can't see, uh, that my body is just a shell, just a vehicle. And because of this, uh, it doesn't have anything significant to say about me and who I am, or it doesn't matter that much uh, what I do in the body as long as my heart is right. That's all that God cares about, and you know, this, this sort of thing. And that's, that's actually what we'll be looking at over the next couple of weeks. But the other is to say that, that we make too much of our body. Uh, we kind of flip this around, and all of a sudden, the body is everything. How I look or how my body functions is everything. This is the end-all, be-all of existence. I don't even care in those moments that there's a part of me that goes on into eternity. Uh, it is all about life in this body now, maximizing pleasure in the here and now. Even if, if I know it's bad for me, I can push that out of my head. Because all that matters is me and my body now. Never delaying gratification because, you know, life is short. And who knows if you delay, if you'll get there or not. And then, of course, and this is where we'll we'll kind of put the lion's share of our emphasis today, 
put in an unhealthy amount of worry and work and worth into our appearance, into how it is that we look. Uh, This is, culturally, I I think this is such a struggle for us, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, but we've made youth into an idol. And the quest to stay forever young and fit and good-looking is a cultural obsession for us. It drives the fitness industry. It drives the clothing industry, uh, a whole dieting and self-help industry, cosmetics. Uh, It's it's an issue for men and women, but especially in our culture, it's, it's incredibly difficult for women. The pressure to be beautiful is so intense. And, of course, that's, that's a very specific and very narrow and entirely unrealistic definition of beauty that drives this intensity as well. Consider this. Uh, the average American is exposed to 3,000 advertisements every day, right? Uh, whenever you look at your phone or your laptop or TV or radio or billboards or magazines, whatever it is, 3,000 a day. There are so many that we don't even truly see all of them. But the problem, of course, is that we we actually do, whether we know we're seeing them or not. And from a very early age, they're shaping our conception of what is beautiful and what is good and what is true. Uh, In those advertisements, the average female model is 5 foot 10 and 110 pounds. Uh, If... If those of you who snickered know how incredibly unrealistic that is, that is such an outlier as a female body type. It's, I mean, that's like we, we have the saying around our house. I have two daughters, if you don't know that, two teenage daughters. So in our house, we, we refer to those as like milkshake girls, as in like get that girl a milkshake stat <laughs> because, you know, this, it's, in our house, it's like, don't be a milkshake girl. Don't make me run t- out to In-N-Out and get you something to fatten you up right now. But it's, it's incredibly thin. And then still, those images are photoshopped, right? Even that doesn't stand alone. It still gets photoshopped. And these sexualized images of women, are, are, they're terrible on every level. I mean, they incite lust in men, and they incite self-loathing in women. Uh, it creates an incredible dilemma. Check this out, too. So there's a recent survey found that 42% of girls aged 6 to 10, think about that, that's age 6 to 10, wish that they were thinner. There's another survey of teenage girls where it asks, if you can change just one thing about yourself, any one thing, what would it be? And, and the answer there was their weight, is that they wanted to be thinner. Uh, the most conservative estimates with teenage girls is that 10% of them will have an eating disorder as a teenager. The, the uh, broader estimates are up to 25%. And I, I can tell you that, that I've seen this as a pastor. I've you know, been here for a number of years now, and prior to serving here, I was a pastor of, uh, of college students for nine years. And, um, and even as, as college students, I mean, I... I could probably count on my fingers the number of women that I've known through the years who could truly say that they're happy with the way that they look and happy with their body, right? And these, these are women who, by any objective standard, are beautiful, beautiful people, but are not able to see that, not able to see that in themselves. And, 
And not to leave the men out of this too, it's, it's not merely, nearly as much of a struggle for the men, but uh, actually body dysmorphia and eating disorders are on the rise in men as well. I, uh, I read an interview with this, this one actor, I'm blanking on his name, he's in that show, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I think it's called. Anyway, this guy's in terrifically good shape. And he said for the show, he, uh, he went to one of the top trainers in Hollywood and he says to him, okay, I want you to make me look like, and the trainer like waved him off. He's like, don't even finish the sentence. I know what you're going to say. Brad Pitt and Fight Club. And the guy's like, what? How do you know that? And he says, because every man in Hollywood that comes to me wants to look like Brad Pitt in, in Fight Club, right? Who, if, if you haven't seen the movie, is just ridiculously shredded, abs upon abs, and more handsome than any man has any right to be, right? And... Um, uh, and it's, I mean, it's a thing on that end as well. Um, for me, you know, for me in this, my, my appearance is, is always a sense of pain for me growing up. I had this dorky face that bullies love to punch. It was just not a good, not a good recipe for me. Uh, girls really didn't notice me at all, I don't think, until college or so. And I didn't like how my body performed either. I was never athletic, uh, super skinny, super slopey shoulders, and somehow in the midst of that, I also would always have a little bit of a tummy. And I remember saying, God, why? If I'm going to be a super skinny kid, can't I at least have the abs to go with it? But it's, it was not to be. Uh, but friends, listen. I mean, this is a serious problem for us. Our flesh and the world and the enemy have conspired to make youth and youthful beauty into an idol. And it's all we can do not to be consumed by this in our everyday lives. Uh, The corrective to this, the corrective is that the scriptures teach us your body is important, but it's not everything. Uh, We might put it this way. That God in the scriptures says to us, I see all of who you are, and I love you. God sees all of us, our body included, and he loves us in the midst of that. And there's this message that comes with that, that while your body is important, you are more than your body. You are more than what you see in the mirror. That is part of you, but it isn't the whole thing, and God sees it all. And he loves you. He says, listen, you are more than your outward appearance. You are more than how pretty or handsome you are. You are more than what the scale says. You are more than how your clothes fit. God sees all of us, every part. And he loves us. Here's where we're we're going to go this morning. So I want us to start in 1 Samuel 16 and just sort of establish this principle, this message we see in Scripture of God seeing and valuing all of us. And then uh, I want to take us through three spiritual practices that can help us in growing in this area and seeing our bodies in a healthier, more biblical perspective. Yes? Well, let's, uh, let's pray together and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as we come up against a topic that's really tender for so many. 
Lord, that, that you as the gentle Savior who would not break a bruised reed, that you would deal with us so gently in this. God, would you just expose in us those places where our thinking is wrong, those places where we're not seeing what you see. And Jesus, would you as our teacher be remaking us into those who are operating more the way that you do. So God, we just offer ourselves to you, we submit ourselves to you, body, heart, soul, mind. And we pray, God, that you would meet us as we come to the scriptures today. We trust you for it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 16. So there's a prophet named Samuel. And he has been sent to a man named Jesse. And God tells him that one of Jesse's sons will be Israel's next king. So Samuel does it. He rolls in. He, uh, he says, Let, you know, let's sacrifice something. Let's have a barbecue you know, and gather around everybody. He doesn't tell Jesse exactly what he's doing, but he says, I want to meet all of your sons, right? There's some kind of an audition going on here, and Jesse's not told what it is yet. He just says, I, I want to see all of your sons. And so Jesse brings them. And starting with the oldest, a guy named Eliab, he parades them before Samuel. And we'll pick up the story in verse 6. It says, when the sons arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed, that is the next king, the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let's pause there for just a moment because we have to let that sink in. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right? And Eliab, son number one, like he looks the part. Right? He is a king out of central casting. He's tall and he's handsome. We learn later he's been part of the king's army. He's this warrior. And Samuel is like, boom, done. Anoint this guy We'll eat the ox and we'll get going, you know. Um, But God is like, no, you're looking at the wrong thing. That isn't what I care about in this. Uh, You are looking at the height. You're looking at at the outward appearance. But God says, I'm looking for something different. I'm looking at the heart. And friends, God sees all of us, body included, but he sees all of us, not just the part that others see as well. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, you can kind of picture the scene, yeah? 
Uh, it's, it's an easy one for us to get our heads around. You've got all these brothers coming in, and they're all big and strong and manly. You know, they look like kings, right? I'm picturing here uh, Viggo Mortensen, Aragorn, and the Lord of the Rings movies. Have you seen the Lord of the Rings? <laughs> right? Now, think about this. When you are watching the Lord of the Rings movie, and Aragorn is on his kind of slow trajectory to become the king, at no point do you or anybody else think, oh, I don't see it. Right? Never. Never are you like, mm, nah. No, you don't even think about it. You, you look at him and you're like, this guy's amazing. He's all handsome and flowing locks and he's all big. And you're like, of course he's a king. Figure it out, people. Come on, Aragorn. Take the role. So um, Samuel, I mean, this is what he's looking at. And he, he goes through all of these kingly types. And God's like, no, no, scratch. No, not that one. Mm-mm. Right? And finally, <laughs> finally to Jesse, he's like, you sure you don't have any other sons? Because you were coming up empty here. And Jesse's, I mean, basically, he's like, well, I, I guess, <laughs> right? There's still the youngest. He's out with the sheep. Jesse didn't even bother having him audition, right? He's an afterthought in this whole thing. But God says, no, he's the one. Anoint him. He is going to be king. It's not based on his appearance or how his body looks. It's based on his heart. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, we might note here, and you probably caught this as we were reading it, but we might note it also says that David is handsome. Right? He's healthy looking. He has handsome features. Um, and we learn a little bit later that he, uh, this is how one of his enemies describes him, that he kind of looked like a boy. right? So I'm, I'm just kind of speculating here, but maybe you've got like Viggo Mortensen handsome, right? like, oh yeah, this guy could be a king, or like young Justin Bieber handsome. Right, where you, you can't deny that the guy is handsome, but if you need someone to help you fight off the barbarian hordes, you're going to go with Vigo and not with the Biebs, right? So this, this is part of it. And, and it's interesting that it notes this because God sees that too. Right? And this, hear this, friends. This is going to come up again and again in this series. God made us whole people. Body, mind, spirit. We can't decide I'm just this or I'm just this. It is, it's all of this. And God sees it all and he loves it. The truth that you and I live in is the world around us looks at our exterior and it judges accordingly. But what if? What if God sees more? What does it change for you and I if we are able to live into that truth? And can you imagine experiencing perhaps more freedom, less self-consciousness, more self-acceptance, maybe a, a deeper sense of worth? Right? Can, can you see how we need this? Right? We need Jesus to disciple us into this area of not thinking too much or too little of our bodies, but seeing ourselves as God sees us. And uh, we, we want to look at three disciplines here, um, three spiritual disciplines, three means of living into this truth and allowing Jesus to, to teach us and grow us in this. And 
I want to say at the outset, all three of these are going to chafe. They're super countercultural. They're not quick fixes, not by any stretch. This is, this is a way of thinking and a way of living in the presence of Jesus where slowly over time he's able to transform the way that we look at and think of ourselves. But as, as we go through these, don't dismiss them. Really consider, if I was able to live into this more, what kind of freedom would I experience? Number one is this. First practice is to cultivate deeper beauty. Cultivate beauty that's deeper. First Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes, Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And now Paul here, as, as he so often does, he reaches for an athletic metaphor. He loves these. And interestingly, there's some good indication in the scriptures that Paul himself was not a physical specimen, right? That he was, he was not the athlete type, perhaps himself. But he loves the analogy. And he says, think about the athlete who trains for the games. And he says, this is good. It has some value, yes. But he says, godliness has more. So train yourself to be godly, right? There is some value there. You can, (laughs) there's value, but it's limited. You can train your body. You can make yourself into a physical specimen, but still, you're going to age, you're going to decay, you're going to sag, and eventually you're going to die, right? We can't avoid this. There is, yeah, you're welcome. There is a value to our training, but it has a limit, yes? <clears throat> this, uh, uh, we, we have this verse emblazoned on the wall of our garage gym as a reminder for us. Right? What we're doing, it's valuable, and it's good that we're doing it, but it doesn't have ultimate value. Now, does this mean that I shouldn't focus at all on my outer appearance? Not at all, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. But, but just think about this. What if you put as much effort, as much training, if you were, as much effort into your inner self and its development as you did your outer self? What if there was a similar level of concern with that inner beauty as there was with the outer beauty? And I'm thinking here of our, just our very common spiritual practices, right? Things like uh, daily time in, in prayer and meditating on the scripture. Worshiping together on Sundays with the family of God. Fellowship with those in our small groups. Serving. This, the, the ways that we grow. Nothing magical here. Just kind of those basic Christian practices. But consider, what if these became as routine for you as your nightly skincare routine? Or what if you gave as much attention to finding clothes that are flattering, if, if you gave the same amount of attention to your spiritual practices as you did to those? Or what if you put as much effort into those spiritual disciplines as you do into your workouts? What would that do in us? Right? That's training yourself to be godly. And we'd find that that godliness grows. Uh, and <clears throat> I, I would say this. 
I think it definitely changes the way that you view yourself. But I think also, I would argue, it actually it, it makes you more beautiful, too. And tell me if you relate to this, if you've seen this. But, <clears throat> but a person's soul has a way of shining through. Right? When someone has a really healthy and vibrant interior life, uh, it, it comes through in their eyes when you look at them. You can see it in a person's face. You see it in their posture. There is something that even beautifies the outward when we're focusing on cultivating that deeper beauty as well. Uh, the Apostle Peter says something really similar. And these particular words are directed at women, though I think men can learn from these as well. But he writes this. Pardon me as I deal with some frustration with my body. First <clears throat> Peter 3. He says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. Right? He's saying focus on cultivating that inner beauty. You're going to reap a bigger dividend from this. And I, I want to say here, this must be said, some women really hate this verse. Yes? You can, <laughs> we can do a show of hands if you really want. But um, I, I've had women say to me, you know what? Maybe this is true. God sees my inner beauty, but the rest of the world is still judging me by how pretty I am and how thin I am. Right? And, and you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And that is, is part of the challenge in this for sure. But what if, what if we started to care more about what God sees than what others see? What if we allowed Jesus to disciple us into a view of self where we're more focused on cultivating the inner? Do you think it might change the way that we hold our view of the outer self as well? Right? Or, or more than a couple of women have said this to me as well. Uh, this might be true, but I really don't care to hear it from a man like the Apostle Peter. Again, not, not wrong. But of course, it's the Holy Spirit who's directing him and penning these words. And consider, I mean, just imagine living in a way where you could care about your outer appearance, but not be consumed by your outer appearance. Right? The words can feel a little harsh, but... There's a gift in there. There's a freedom that Jesus wants to invite us into. And similarly, for women, for you in particular, if the brothers around you weren't pressing you to always be making your outer self more beautiful or thinner or whatever the case might be, well, freedom might come from that as well. And men, we really, really have to hear these words too. And make sure that as, as part of a church or for those who are married as husbands, to be sure that we are not part of the problem in this and not making things more difficult than they already are. It might sound naive, but these words are meant to bring freedom. Cultivate a deeper beauty. It has benefits for all things. Now, um, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's really important, so we're going to take it here. But just that, that question, 
Is it okay, though, to look good and to work at looking good? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, the Bible celebrates beauty, and as, as a human person, you should see your beauty and enjoy your beauty, uh, even give effort to it. Just what the scripture is saying is just don't stop with the outer. Be thinking about the inner as well. God loves beauty. He just doesn't want you to be enslaved to it. Yes? We know the difference, yes? Jesus said, uh, consider the lilies of the field and how they're clothed, right? He's saying don't, don't worry about how you're going to look. Look at how beautiful the lilies are. Now, hear what he's not saying there. He's not saying, don't you think about being beautiful. He's just saying, think about the lilies. God cares for them. He's going to care for you, too. It's just a matter of having this in its proper place. I want to, uh, while we're on this rabbit trail, I want to take us through a little passage in uh, Song of Solomon. Um, Because, again, I I don't want anyone walking away from this thinking, if I try to look nice, I'm sinning. That's not the case. But uh, listen to this. And this is is the speaker, presumably it's Solomon, and he's speaking to the love of his life. And he has this wonderful description. He says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veils are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. If you miss what that means, he's saying, you have all your teeth. (laughs) And they're as white as sheep. And he's just expounding on the beauty that is part of that. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. I don't even know what that one means. (laughs) You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Now, always fun to go to Song of Solomon. Um, Okay, so there's some cultural images there that don't exactly translate, right? Most of you ladies would not be happy if your loved one described your hair as a flock of goats. That's probably not something you'd find complimentary. Singles don't use that as a pickup line. Just (laughs) scoot that aside. But you get the overall picture here, though, yes? The overall idea uh, that, that this man sees and celebrates, her eyes and skin and lips and figure, he sees it all and he celebrates it. And and this isn't an anomaly in the scriptures. Beauty is something that is to be cared about. Uh, So be beautiful. Be handsome. Take care of yourself. Rejoice in the beauty that God has given you. God just doesn't want you to be enslaved to it. The body is a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. And when we conform ourselves to the views that society puts on us, it it enslaves us. And friends, Jesus wants to free us from that. God sees all of you, and he loves you. Uh, That's one. Uh, Second, we want to look at here, is treat care for your body as an act of worship. Right? As we're caring for our physical selves, treat this 
uh, as an act of worship. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Uh, Paul writes this, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Right, now, Paul is writing here, and we'll see this in its fuller context in a couple weeks, but Paul is writing here about uh, choices of sin and righteousness that we make with our, our bodies. But this, this principle he ends with, I think, applies more broadly. Honor God with your bodies. And friends, part of recognizing that our bodies are good and that they are a gift from God is stewardship. It's seeing the body as something that we are to care for because it's good and God has given it to us and we want to care for that good gift. And that's part of how we honor the one who gave the gift, yes, is by by caring for it. And this, this is a good thing, right, to eat healthy, to exercise, to get enough sleep, to try to maintain a healthy weight. These are good. And they're a way that we honor God with our bodies, a way that we worship and express appreciation and wonder for the one who gave us our physical selves. All right, we're talking here about treating the way we care for our body as part of how we worship God. Right? And, and our problem, one of many, is that, that our worship gets misplaced. Rather than worshiping our maker and stewarding the gift that is our body, we end up worshiping our body and forgetting about the one who gave it to us. Worshiping how, how they look, what they can do. Uh, maybe think of it this way. If, if we're already at a healthy weight, but we obsess over those love handles, right, this is not a good way to appreciate our body. Or if, if you eat pretty healthy, but you'll never touch that piece of chocolate cake because it may blow up your diet and destroy your figure, right? Or if you neglect other commitments because you're living at the gym, sculpting the perfect body, or if you exhaust your time or your money to still look the way you did when you're 25. And we need to examine that and ask if our body has become an idol. And what I'm suggesting here is that we, we do take good care of ourselves, but that we reframe the way that we do this, that we think of this not just as a physical discipline, but as a spiritual one, as a way of us worshiping God, as a way of us acknowledging that this body we've been given is the temple of the Holy Spirit, acknowledging that Jesus paid a price in his body that we might have these bodies, and honoring God in the way that we care for ourselves. Right? Our, um, uh, we, have a, we have a morning workout crew of men and women that, uh, that Samantha and I are part of. And uh, we, we pray each morning before we work out. And we have this, this kind of written, longer written prayer on the wall that we sometimes use. And I, I want to share part of this with you because it kind of touches on this. But this is part of what we pray. We pray, may I remember that my body is a temple of your Holy Spirit, that I am not my own, but have been bought with a price, and that one way I honor you is by being a good steward of my body. Help me to keep my workouts in proper perspective, remembering that physical exercise is of some value, but that godliness has value for all things. 
both in this life and the one to come. Protect me on the one hand from the temptations that reflect neglect of my body, gluttony, drunkenness, and sloth. Protect me on the other hand from the temptations that come from getting in shape, vanity, pride, and making my body or my workouts an idol. Help me to have a healthy estimation of myself, not based on how I look or how I perform, but based solely on the one to whom I belong. My worth comes from the fact that I am in Christ, created in your image, and have been adopted as your beloved child. What we're doing before we undertake this particular act of self-care, of working out, we are reminding ourselves that care for the body contains a choice within it. It can be an ego-driven choice that's all about our vanity, or it can be a way that we honor God and a way that we grow closer to Christ uh, by taking care of the gift that he has given us. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, The body ought to pray as well as the soul. Both body and soul are better for it. So that's two. Uh, We want to cultivate a deeper beauty, and we want to treat care for our body as an act of worship. One more final practice is this. It's receive aging as a gift. You can do this at any age, by the way, but receive aging as a gift. There's a pair of verses from the Proverbs. Proverbs 16 says, Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. And Proverbs 20, 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. And Oh, it, it makes me wish I had hair to go gray. But uh, <clears throat> so. the beard is going there, so that, that helps. But... <clears throat> The Bible has a very different perspective on aging than we typically do in our society. Again, I I would say we have made youth an idol in so many ways, but we celebrate it as a culture. Uh, How we look, of course, how the the young look, but but also, also, and this one is probably, probably weird and we don't even realize it is, but we often regard the young as knowing how the world works. Right? The old being out of touch and the young is knowing all the things. Youth is being the prime of life. Um, and, and this carries over in our appearance as well. I mean, we try desperately to push off age. Uh, we moisturize and dye our hair and we have these super unhealthy dieting fads and Botox and tucks and we dress young and we work out. Anything to keep from being seen is the age that we actually are. And it it helps. I think it gives us a great perspective to recognize the Bible is totally different. I mean, they have such a different value system in that culture where it's, you know, it's more like you see a person's gray hair and you're like, you're old. Congratulations. You know, it's like, let me shake your hand. You made it. God has been so good to you. You got old. Good job. And for them... For them, that was the prime of life. If, if you could get to that, that was the place that you wanted to be. Among other things, you might actually know something. You might have some wisdom about how the world works. And as a result, we're respected in that. Right? There's a verse in Leviticus that says, Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly. Right? So contrary to the way that we typically live. And, and friends, our problem is not just that we don't respect the elderly. 
or agedness in somebody else, we don't respect it in ourselves either. We see our value as diminishing as we age because we're moving further away from that youthful idol of beauty and how our bodies perform and all of the things, yes? And think about this. We, we fight to keep from getting old, and it starts, starts very early. How many of us, I wonder, grieved turning 30? Right? Like this was the end of our existence, and we would be rapidly sliding down the other side of the hill after turning 30. Or, or maybe same thing at 40. Or grieve turning 50. That's as many as I've done so far. I'm sure they'll be grieving at other milestones as well. Uh, but it's, it's a very different perspective than what the scriptures give. So just consider this. Consider this as a spiritual practice. What if, rather than fighting what inevitably comes, what if we decide instead to learn from Jesus how to embrace the gifts that come with getting older? the life experience, and God willing, with the Holy Spirit's help, the wisdom that comes with that. A life of walking with God, where you're becoming more and more formed into the likeness of Jesus and have, frankly, so much more to offer. You can be a mentor. You can be a spiritual father or mother to others in a way that you simply cannot when you are younger because you don't know what you don't know. There is a gift that comes with that. And I would even say, if we understand it rightly, if we understand what the scriptures are saying to us about beauty, uh, I would say that beauty isn't even necessarily diminished in that. It just changes. And in fact, in some ways, that, that inner spirit has more and more opportunity to come out as we get older as well. More opportunity to shine through. But we have to embrace it. If we're fighting this every step of the way, I don't know what benefit will really come. But if this is, is one of our practices, this is part of how we're asking Jesus to disciple us and become more like him, then receiving our aging as a gift has some real merit. Uh, I, uh, I have a buddy who is a gym owner, and he... Uh, uh, he's, he's a Christian. Uh, he's always thinking about these sort of things and how, how the spiritual life kind of impacts the physical life and vice versa. And learned a lot from him. Uh, but it's really interesting. When he has a new client coming into his gym, one of the questions that he asks up front is, what are your goals? Right? And very often, uh, the goal is going to sound something like, um, you know, I, I've had three kids and I want to get the body back that I had before I was a mom. And my friend will say, okay, that would be cool, but what if that can't happen? What if instead we were to focus on helping you be the best version of yourself that you can be right now, at this age, as a mom, with everything else, that's going on in life. Would that be okay? Or, you know, he gets the guy who comes in and says, well, you know, I was a college athlete and I want to look the way that I did in college. Right? And he'll say, okay, well, 
We can work towards that, but what if that isn't possible? And what if instead we worked on helping you become the best version of yourself that you can be at this age, in this season of life, while you also have a career, and you're 10 years older, and you've got a couple of young kids at home? Might we be able to calibrate those goals a bit to better fit where you're at right now? And he he does this with everybody. And and what he's doing is this. He is helping people embrace aging as a gift, being realistic about where they're at, coming to a place where they can thank God for the place that they're at, and inside of that, be the best stewards of self that they can be. Right? That's attainable, yes? We can do that. We probably can't get ourselves to look the way we did at age 25. But we can always seek God to help ourselves become the best version of self that we can be wherever we are at. Uh, And friends, as as we consider these, I want to invite you again not to dismiss any of these too quickly. But to think of these as as long-term projects, how can we change our thinking from the world's way of thinking about our bodies and what it means to have a body and what value we put on that to the way that God sees us, seeing all of us and loving us, even as we pursue them. Let's pray together.